Well, hello and welcome to my living room. I got a fire going. This is going to be a nice way to end 2020. So thanks for joining me. It's going to be a good morning or afternoon or evening, depending on when you're watching this, where we're going to learn a little about Jesus, learn a lot about ourselves, and hopefully, hopefully change the world. Got it? That's what the plan is for today. But before we get started, let me pray for us. Jesus, these are your words, not mine, and they're all true. And many of us believe them and need the courage to follow them. Others of us aren't so sure that uh, they're true. And so God, whether we're the skeptic or the eager or somewhere in between, God, would you give us a supernatural curiosity and a supernatural attention span? And God, would we encounter you and your word and your plans today and would you change us? God, would we all at least, at least be open to the idea right now that you could be loving and you could be kind and that you could have a really good plan for us? And so Jesus, would you reveal that plan? Would you transform us? And would we be different today as a result of encountering your word that points to you and meeting with you and responding to you, being loved by you and becoming more like you and pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So what we're going to do today is I want to try to do a little bit of a kind of a bridge between 2020, where we are right now, right? Merry Christmas. I hope you had a good one. And 2021, which is just staring us down, right? And many of you, many of you, if not most, are ready to get to 2021, but not yet. We're still in 2020, so let's talk about it for a second. Let's think about back in March, April, maybe May, somewhere around there. Do you remember some of the things that you thought and considered uh, said out loud, maybe in your head or you know, uh, begrudgingly to your spouse or on the Facebook pages, right? You said something like, if I have to have one more Zoom meeting, I am going to lose it, right? Yeah, that one. Or if our kids don't go back to real school next week, I am going to go insane. Remember something like that? Or if, if things don't get back to normal soon, I'm not going to make it. Right, you know, those kind of statements, and and they weren't just hyperbole. I mean, we, you you felt them, I felt them, we felt them, right? And yeah, I just want to point out something that's obvious, but probably worth noting as we wrap up this year. You made it, you didn't go insane, and you survived, and you learned some things, right? Maybe you have a little bit more grit than you realized, a little bit more courage, uh, a little bit more steadfastness, long suffering, right? Yeah, you, you got some. Some new character traits out of this year, right? You became more agile. You became less uptight. Whatever those things are, like there's some there's some value added and some things you've learned this year. And let me just point out, like maybe you have some strengths you didn't realize you had anymore. But the reality is, of course you do, because deep inside you, ingrained in your DNA, is the creator of the universe, right? He, the one who breathed life into Adam and then down through the genetics, starting in Genesis, right? Here we are. And we talk about it a good bit around here, that this idea of a Mago Day that you and I are made in the image of God and in, in his likeness, that we get to be co-creators and laborers in his kingdom. That's for those of us who believe this stuff, right? But all of us, if we just kind of pause for a second and go, hey, it's a rough year, but here we are. That's the first part. The second part is, yep, here we are. So why are we here? Thought about that? Like, why are you still here? Right, especially there's a creator God who kind of sees the whole world, holds it in his hand, sustains life, and he somehow has decided that it's worth you and I still being here. Well, why is that? And I would argue, hope this is worth your time, 
That is because he's not through with you or I yet. He's not through with Christian Life Center yet. He's not through with the United States of America yet, right? Like he still has a plan and that plan is for our good and his glory, right? The world's broken, our nation's broken, our families and lives are pretty complicated and broken. But here's the good news, big idea for the day. I want you to hear it, I want you to see it. Right below me, Jesus has a plan. It seems crazy, and it will not work unless he's God, okay? Don't worry, Jesus has a plan. No, it does seem a little crazy, and it will not work unless he's God, but spoiler alert, good news, he is God. So therefore, it will work. Now, as we kind of prepare for this talk today, and one of the things I know that you're probably devastated by is you're used to seeing me on the stage with the big felt board, and you're like, how am I going to learn anything if I got to stare at Josh and not look at the beautiful flannel graph beside him on stage? And you're thinking, I don't know that I can even do this. I mean, that's a pretty Christmas tree. I see the manger scene. But, I mean, really? I'm not going to get the felt board? Don't worry, just because we're in my living room doesn't mean you're not going to get the felt board. In other words, I'll feed you baby birds. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to change the camera angle. Hey, it's nice to still see you. I'm still Josh. You just have a better view of my fireplace. And right above my fireplace is the felt board. Boom. Got it. There it is. So, I told you just a second ago, remember the big idea? Jesus has a plan, it seems crazy, and it will not work unless he's God. So let me just tell you kind of what how Jesus' plan plays out. It's actually, while it's crazy, doesn't make a lot of sense uh, a lot of times. Um, it's actually pretty simple. So here's kind of how Jesus' plan works. We can go back 2,000 years and kind of watch his plan unfold. The first thing is Jesus shows up. Literally, he shows up. That's why um, if you're brand new with us, we teach in series. We're actually wrapping up the sixth week of a series called God with us. In other words, God showed up. And the reason we're doing that series right now is because it's the middle of the Christmas season, and there's this awesome term we get from the Old Testament called Emmanuel, which means God is with us, right? So it's this promise from the Old Testament when everything is broken and there seemed to be no way or no plan, God sent prophets saying, don't worry, there is a plan. It might seem crazy, but it's going to work. And there is a plan, and the plan is that God himself is going to show up as a savior. And you're going to know because he's going to be born of a virgin in this little bitty town of Bethlehem. And you're going to name him Emmanuel. Why? Because he's going to be God with us. So uh, for the last five weeks, we've been kind of looking at the picture of God with us. Now, usually when you hear that term Emmanuel, especially around this time of the year, it's all about Christmas and the pageantry of a baby being born of a, in a manger, the Bethlehem star, the wise men, the shepherds, you know, virgin birth, all those things. But the reality is, most of the story about Jesus' life is not um, centered on this Christmas story. The story of God with us is actually mostly about Jesus growing into a man and then showing up. And then not only just showing up, but inviting people to come and see his kingdom. To come and see his kingdom. And then finally, to go and do. Now, while I'm telling you we're in the series, God with us, week six, we wrap it up this week. We're actually, that's actually a sub-series of a much bigger series. So for like the last 24, 25 weeks, you know, it's almost six months now, we have been walking through a book of the Bible called the Gospel of Luke. So Luke is a biographer who writes about Jesus's life. He was a doctor turned investigative journalist hired by a Roman official to investigate Jesus's life. 
to determine whether or not we could actually trust this plan. Remember, God has a plan and Jesus has a plan. It seems crazy and it won't work if he's not God. And so Luke goes and studies whether or not it will work and whether or not he's God. And so what Luke does is he... Um, he goes and interviews all the eyewitnesses and he goes and reads all the written documents he can and goes and hears all the oral accounts of Jesus' life. And then he puts together an orderly account for one reason to say, I write these things so that you can have certainty of the things you've been taught. God has a plan. Jesus has a plan. And it might seem crazy. And it will not work if he's not God. But Luke says, but you can have certainty. God, Jesus said he is God. And you can have certainty of the things you've been taught. So each and every week, we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke, trying to learn a little bit more about Jesus. And where we've been is, uh, right now we're in Luke chapter 6. And so what's basically happened is Jesus has showed up. Right? So we got some pictures of him as a baby, pictures of him as a, you know, an adolescent, you know, a few moments there, and then some uh, uh, the the beginning of his ministry. And so what's happened is uh, he's uh, showed up with this guy named John the Baptist, who started declaring, "Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths around, pointing, going, Jesus is coming. He's going to show up, and he's going to say, repent." which means change your mind for the kingdom of God is near. Like Jesus and his plans have showed up, right? And so that's going to be the declaration that you see. So John the Baptist does it. And what happens next is Jesus comes and he starts um, initiating conversation and relationship with a bunch of strangers and ragamuffins. He's going to show up and love people that you would not think he would love and do things that no one else in the world was capable of doing. And so we've seen over and over again the last several weeks as Jesus is interacting with broken people and he's bringing healing. He's made lame people walk. He has, uh, he's invited really dirty pagan people, right? Uh, tax collectors, the worst of the worst, who steal from the Jews, right? He's invited them to follow him. He's met with fishermen and invited them in on his ministry. They're fishermen. They're not religious leaders, and he's invited them in. And every single time he invites them in, there's a group of people who've gotten really, really angry that he's showed up. There's a group of people who've gotten really, really angry that he's invited people to come and see and experience him. And the, the group of the people that we've been learning about are the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes are the religious leaders who... Um, are the ones who write all the, uh, all, have been kind of charged with making copies of all the scriptures, right? There, there were no Xerox machines or copying machines then. And so uh, just by default, as the ones who had access to the word and were making copies of the manuscripts of the word, they became the teachers of the word and uh, interpreters of the word. And so these scribes would invite their own following to come and see them, to come and follow them. And they were called the Pharisees, religious leaders. And they had this kind of this plan that the way by which you do life, the way you find purpose, the way that you solve the problems, you follow the rules. And so what's complicated is the rules that they were telling people to follow weren't really rules they were even able to follow or even necessary to follow. And so they had this complicated relationship with rules and Jesus shows up and doesn't have the same relationship with the rules, right? He doesn't find his value in following the rules. He doesn't earn his way back to God by performing all the rituals and the rules. And so each and every week that we've looked at, Jesus has met people and he's done things like uh, healed people of withered hands in the middle of a Sabbath day. And they're going, you can't do that on a day. And Jesus goes, well, I just did. Right? And uh, what we left off last week is Jesus has just healed a man on a day he's not supposed to do the healing, caring for a person he wasn't supposed to care about on that day. And what, what happened to these religious leaders, they actually walked off in fury. 
They're angry. And what we're going to see from this point forward is they're going to plot to thwart and kill Jesus. They're going to, they're going to get together and come up with a plan to stop Jesus from showing up and inviting people to come and see and calling people to go and do. And so what is Jesus going to do now that he knows that people are going to try to murder him and eventually murder him? So what are they going to do? How are they going to respond? How is he going to respond? Is he going to shrink back? Nope. You know what he's going to do? He's going to continue to show up and he's going to continue to invite people to come and see. So Jesus, for this point, has been uh, doing ministry, loving people, inviting people, showing up for you know less than a year, six months at this point. And what we're going to see now is Jesus is now going to start putting his plan into action. So let me read it to you. We just saw last week Jesus healed a lame, uh, withered a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees are mad. This is what happens next. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Here's what it says. In these days, he went out to the mountain uh, to pray all night. Uh, I'm sorry. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued um, in prayer to God. Got it? So that's what we see next. Uh, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. So uh, that word, in these days here, that doesn't mean, it actually means like a, a specific period of time. Like, by that, it doesn't mean like, you know, in these days, like it was a Tuesday. It meant more like in this season of ministry. So we just saw Jesus start showing up, inviting people to come and see. And then from there, what we see happens next is that uh, Pharisees get angry. And then during this time, in this season of ministry, distinct season, the next thing we see happen is Jesus goes and he prays. Okay. So Jesus is about to do this really, really significant thing. He's about to implement his plan. Remember, his plan's crazy, and if he's not God, it will not work. And the next thing he does is he's going to pause, and he's going to go and spend time with God. Now, there's lots I can say about this. I have a couple illustrations I probably can share, but knowing that you're staring at me across the screen, I'm going to honor your time, cover that great illustration during overtime on Tuesday, which reminds me, if you ever have any questions about this, you can text us at 610-869-2140 or email us at overtime at clcfamily.church. We'd be happy to answer your questions on Tuesday or during the weekly video or audio podcast. So Jesus, what we see, he's about to implement his plan, but before he does it, what does he do? He pauses and he prays. And it says he actually prays all night. He prays all night. And then it says this, verse 13, And when day came, so about 12 hours later, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Okay, So what we saw last week, uh, Jesus and his disciples are kind of walking through the fields and they're hungry, so they're grabbing some grain and they're eating it. The Pharisees are pretty bothered by that. And usually when people hear that disciples are doing that, they think of these 12, these 12 men that follow Jesus. If you know anything about the scriptures, there's these 12 disciples. We're going to see where they come from today. But before this, all we've seen so far is that Jesus has invited people. He's shown up and invited people to come and see, right? And so when it says, and when he came, he called his disciples. That's all of them. Lots of disciples. We don't know if it's a couple dozen. We don't know if it's 50. We don't know if it's 75. We just know that he's invited a bunch of disciples in. That word disciple there literally means just a learner right? Like someone who is learning. So he's inviting people to come and see. So these are all the people that he showed up to, interacted with, and invited them to come and see. So these are lots of people who are, who are just following Jesus, trying to figure out who he is, trying to figure out if he has a plan, trying to figure out if he's God, all those things. So they're following him. And then, and all this, it says he chose from them 12 
whom he named apostles. So you got a bunch of disciples. You know, Jesus is about to, to make 12 of these guys what he calls apostles, right? So these are the disciples that you're typically pretty aware of. I'm about to read their names in just a second. But the word apostle is really pretty important here. So typically, it's kind of hard for us to um, translate because it doesn't translate perfectly from Greek to English, right? So uh, sometimes you hear the word messenger, and it's kind of messenger. And sometimes you hear the sent one, right? Meaning one who goes and does. You see this, you see this, right? So Jesus shows up, he invites people to come and see, and now he's going to call people to go and do the the sent one. And so this is because, what does Jesus do? He, he shows up. What does that mean? It meant he was the sent one, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the this God with us piece. He is sent one, right? So he invites others to come and see, and now sent one. So and it's messenger, meaning there's a message to share. So Jesus has a plan. It's a crazy one, and it's not going to work if he's not God. Good news, he's God, and this plan is actually to get this message of his hope and his healing and his peace and his joy and his salvation from two people from. People, right? So these are the first twelve who are charged with this. So it's both a a, a sent one, meaning a, like an active role, plus this message is going to have to go with it. But um, for these these first twelve apostles, when they would have heard this, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. In fact, the reason being is because while we don't have a good English to Greek translation, the language of the day that Jesus would have spoken would have been Aramaic, and there was a perfect term in Aramaic for this, and it was the word uh, shalia, or shalia, S-H-A-L-I-A-H. And it literally was an official representative of the Sanhedrin. So let me help you understand this a little bit. So the Sanhedrin was this uh, mighty Supreme Court type thing, 70-71 rulers of kind of the Jewish life, right? So the Roman government government right underneath there was the Sanhedrin and they kind of ran things for all Jews. They made the decisions. They determined what the temple taxes would be. They determined what the tithes would be for all the different festivals. They kept up with the money. They ran everything about Judaism. But, you know, when you're trying to run everything about uh, Judaism in a place where, uh, you know, uh, Judaism's kind of spread out. Like, for example, uh, Jesus and most of his buddies are from this little state called Galilee, right? Galilee, uh, between Galilee and Judea, where all the Sanhedrin are, is another place called Samaria. And it's multiple dates trips to get back and forth from Galilee to Judea, right? And the Sanhedrin would have existed and lived and operated in around the big city of Jerusalem. And so what would happen is the Sanhedrin would identify representatives who would be sent out with the responsibility of communicating and enforcing the rules, right? So the ruling council of Israel uh, would give the Sharia, uh, the Shalia, um, full rights of Sanhedrin. They would have spoke with the Sanhedrin's authority. They would have delivered the Sanhedrin's message, and they would have exercised the Sanhedrin's authority, right? So when Jesus is saying, "Hey, you, you twelve, come here. I want you now to go, take my message, and walk in my authority." No, not with your own plan and purpose, my plan and purpose, but I will empower you with this message to go to the ends of the earth, right? So this is pretty significant because I told you Jesus has a plan. It's a crazy one because he's going to use a bunch of random ragamuffin people to take this message out into the entire world, right? He's got a plan. It's a crazy one. And it won't work unless he's God. And so Jesus is going to empower and make this group of people go. Now we're going to see in Luke chapter 9, it'll take us a couple more months to get there, where Jesus actually finally empowers them with the actual and like spiritual 
power and authority to be able to do things into the kingdom. But here he's going to acknowledge, hey, you're going to be my 12 apostles. You're going to be sent out with this message. So that's verse 13. And then you see what happens next in verse 14. It says this. So Jesus is, or Luke's going to tell us the name of these 12 apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Okay, there's verses 14, 15, and 16. And just to be honest with you, I have spent so much time on these three verses over the last couple of weeks. In fact, I wrote this material, um, preached the material once or twice on video, and just could not, did not, just didn't feel like it was making a lot of sense. So I wrestled with, okay, God, what do you want me to do with these three verses? Because they're in your scriptures. Luke obviously wanted us to, and to know the account of them. So we see these 12 people, and it's like, do I need to go through and highlight all the stuff about each of these people? And some of them, there's just very little about. And it's like, okay, do I need to highlight kind of the important stuff? Like, for example, in all the lists, there's one of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and another one in Acts. Simon Peter, Peter is always at the top of the list. He's kind of the leader. And at the bottom of the list, all the list, is Judas Iscariot, the, the traitor. And, okay, is that what we need to talk about? Okay, God, how about, do I need to talk about the fact that 11? of the 12 are Galileans, meaning like people that didn't have much pedigree. They weren't like they, they were from the outskirts. They weren't from the city. In fact, the only one from like the, 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 the main province of Judea was, was Judas of Iscariot, right? That's how we know Judas of Iscariot. That's the location just south of I mean, 20 miles or so south of Jerusalem. And so is that what we need to discuss? Like that, is that what I need to tell you? And so how about I just point out like, Okay, you got Bartholomew, but and but Bartholomew in the Gospel of John is buddy or Philip's buddy Bartholomew is actually mentioned by another name, Nathaniel. Is it the same person? Do I need to spend time with that? I think it's that. Oh, maybe that's what I need to do. So I just have really, really wrestled through all this. So again, what I think I'm supposed to highlight here is uh, Jesus has a plan, and it seems crazy. And if he's not God, it's not going to work. But he is God. And so therefore, it will work. What I'd like to just kind of point out, and what I think is important here that Luke would want you to know, is when you look at these guys, there are no great athletes or celebrities, no successful businessmen, no powerful politicians, no decorated soldiers, no charismatic religious leaders, and no priests. In fact, it's a pretty weird group of people. Hear me. And I'll talk to you a lot more about this in the coming weeks and months. Jesus' plan to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and bring the good news and peace and joy and hope and love and usher it all in was always through a bunch of random ragamuffins in the form of a weird team. And even in this team, you see, it says uh, Matthew. We learned about Matthew. He was a he was a uh, tax collector, meaning he worked for the Roman government and he took advantage of Jews by charging them more for the taxes than they had to pay. And you go a little farther, and there's Simon who is called the Zealot. This is a different Simon than Simon Peter. This was like a guy who was an anarchist. Like he was a Jewish zealot who hated the Roman government. And the way by which he believed, or most zealots believed, the way that you overthrow the government is through violence. So on the same team, you got Matthew, who's entrenched in the Roman government and leverages the power and authority of the Roman government to, to steal from the Jews. And then you have this, like, zealous zealot of a Jew and Simon. And you go, the two of them, how in the world are they on the team? Well, there's only one way because of Jesus, right? It's a crazy plan, and it would not work unless he's God. But the good news is 
He's God. And so you see that. So I'm going, okay, that's pretty neat, I guess. But Lord, what is it you actually want us to see? What is it you want us to know? How do you want us to respond to this? And so I started thinking about it and thinking about particularly Simon and Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew. And just really thinking about this plan that Jesus had. And this plan that he's now going to instruct them. So you see, he shows up. He says to come and see. Then he goes and does. And so I just wanted to highlight actually how this began. So we're now seeing when Jesus is calling them to apostles. But you really don't see in this passage where Jesus shows up. And then he invites them to come and see. And then he calls them to go and do. So I'm just going to highlight a passage where this happens. Now, in, in the previous weeks, what we've kind of been doing is jumping through this crazy timeline where we start kind of maybe in the year that Jesus was born or 30 years after Jesus was born. And then we look back at some stuff in the Old Testament, New Testament, see how everything about Jesus' plan was always a plan from the beginning, kind of working through the timeline. We're going to do a little bit of that today. There won't be a timeline on the felt board, but let me just help you here. We're going to go back about uh, at least three months, maybe nine months, less than a year, um, to a time that Jesus first interacts with Simon, Peter, Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. So I just want you to see the moment that Jesus shows up and implements his plan. Now, I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of John. So John's uh, Gospel is really pretty neat uh, in that he doesn't cover the pageantry of the nativity story, the birth story of Jesus. He starts with, in the beginning was the, the word, meaning in the beginning God existed and Jesus existed. In the beginning there was a plan, and the plan was Jesus. He was always the plan. And the way by which his plan was going to be implemented, the way that it was going to be ignited was that Jesus was going to put on human flesh and step onto this plan, as it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, Jesus became flesh. Eugene Peterson says he moved into the neighborhood. So Jesus shows up. And John, John the Beloved, one of his followers, right? Uh, uh, one of his apostles says, you know, the way that he describes it is it was a dark world, but Jesus was light and the darkness could not overcome, right? And so light shows up into the world. And so immediately following that beautiful story of how Jesus gets ushered in and the plan gets, you know, kind of detonated. What we see after that is uh, we're introduced to John the Baptist. Now, you're familiar with John the Baptist if you've been following along with us uh, any time over the last couple of months. John the Baptist was uh, Jesus' cousin who kind of showed up as the trumpeteer to go prepare the way of the Lord. So John's whole goal was to remove the obstacles so that people could see Jesus. And here's kind of the thing I want you to hear here in terms of Jesus' plan. Probably the most significant part of Jesus' plan is the part that we miss the most. And here's what it is. We, over and over again, don't value, understand, and we underestimate the power and significance of an encounter between Jesus and his people. We underestimate its significance over and over again, right? We spend all of our time and energy trying to fix ourselves or all of our time and energy trying to fix other people because we underestimate the value of that moment when people encounter Jesus in everything changes, right? In fact, fact, let me say it this way. You actually can't. It's impossible to over-exaggerate the significance of an encounter between Jesus and his people, right? It's that significant. The most important objective in the world, and I certainly hope right now, even if for those of us who are skeptics in this, today that happens for you if it's for the first time I'm going, the most important thing that could ever happen is for you and I and the people that we love and the people we hate and the people we are frustrated with, right? That you and I and all people come face to face with Jesus and have that 
kind of encounter. So we're going to see when this takes place. So John the Baptist is going to declare, prepare the way, remove the obstacles so that people can see Jesus and see Jesus. And so then John the Baptist has got his disciples, the people that are following him, like all the scribes and religious leaders had. And he's going, but you shouldn't follow me. You should follow the one who can save, the one who has a plan, who can actually implement his plan. And so John the Baptist is preaching and he's saying stuff like, uh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, meaning the, the one who's always been promised. We've always known there's a payment for the brokenness of our world, and Jesus is the one who pays the price for that payment. Going back to the Old Testament, he's making those declarations. And then, then we are going to come face to face with this moment when John is going to make another declaration of Jesus when he shows up. So John the Baptist is there. Jesus shows up onto the scene. That's why the felt board has them both. And this is what it says in John 1, 35. The next day, after Johnson preaching, saying that, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, uh, John was standing with two of his disciples. So he's got two people who are following him, learning from John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus, so there's Jesus, as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Right? Oh, he just showed up. That's what we see here. He just showed up. That's literally his again. The plan has been implemented. Step one, he shows up. Now, watch what happens next. Verse 37 says this. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So John's going, you shouldn't follow me anymore. You've been waiting. I've been removing the obstacles, but it's time to stop following me and start following Jesus. So Jesus invites them. Come and see. Jesus turned. Watch this. So these two guys start following him, literally following him. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? So Jesus looks at him and goes, what is it you're looking for? Like, what is it you're looking for? And I think, that's a pretty significant question for you to think about as you wrap up 2020 and get prepared for 2021. What is it you're seeking? What is it you're seeking? So John the Baptist is convinced that if you remove the obstacles and people can see Jesus, they're going to find what it is they are seeking. What is it you're seeking? So they asked these disciples this. Now watch their answer. It's so good. And they said to him, Rabbi, thanks John for telling us, which means teacher, where are you staying? What? He just asked you what it is you're seeking, and you ask a different question. Is it a completely different question? Uh, no, not really. It's actually the same. It's an answer to the same question. He's going, hey, well, where are you staying? Because I can't answer that in a minute. You see, there's so many longings. There's so many places I need forgiveness. There's so many places I need fulfillment. There's so many places I need peace and joy and hope. There's so much I need to figure about this life and the pain and the sorrow. There is so much broken in 2020 that I need to understand. Like, so, so when Jesus goes, what is it you're seeking? These disciples go, hey, where are you staying? And so watch what happens in verse 39. It says this. He said to them, mm-hmm. he showed up. No, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it is about the 10th hour. Okay, 10th hour means about 4 p.m. So they show up to Jesus. They start following him. He shows up, and then he invites them to come and see. He goes, what is it you're seeking? They're going, hey, can we just go to where you're going? This is going to take for a while. It's 4 o'clock. You got a little while? So at 4 o'clock, they follow him, and then they go and stay with him for that day. And then it says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Remember? 
just read this uh, group of disciples who become apostles or sent ones. So this first one is Andrew. So Andrew is following John the Baptist. Jesus shows up and invites him to come and see. So what does Andrew do? He goes and he sees, right? So he follows Jesus. He goes and stays with Jesus. Now what's Andrew going to do? See, there's always a plan. It's a crazy one. It won't work if unless Jesus is God. Luckily, he's God. And so what's the plan? Jesus invites people to come and see and then to follow him and going and doing. And so what does Andrew do? He goes and he does. He uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, it says this. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So now you have a movement that started. Jesus shows up. He invites to come and see. And then he calls those who come and see to go and do. So Peter, uh, Andrew goes and finds Peter. And what does he declare? He declares the one who they've been waiting for. The one who can solve the world's problems. The one with the plan. The one who is the one that offers fulfillment, hope, and joy, and peace for now and for all eternity. All that they're looking for. All that they're hoping for. It's all found in him. So Andrew goes, I encountered him. And your only hope, your best hope, the only thing that can save you is if you would come and encounter him too. So what does Andrew do? He invites his brother to follow. And it says this. Then the next day, uh, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So, you know, and uh, he filmed Philip and said to him, follow me. So uh, next thing you see is Jesus shows up in a new town. You got it? So Jesus shows up. And then what does he do? Really, really simple. He invites Philip to follow him. Hey, come and see. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So now, Peter, Andrew, and Philip, and we know that James and John are all from the same area. And they're all people who are following Jesus, who've invited to come and see. So I'm guessing you've seen the pattern now. What do you think it is Philip's going to do? Philip, now that he's been invited to come and see, now he's going to go and do. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Okay, you got to find this. This is the real person. He actually is born. He showed up. He showed up. Jesus, he lives in Nazareth. He's Joseph's son. He showed up, right? And he is, he is the one whom Moses and the law had promised, that one day there would be a fulfillment of the law. And that all the prophets, that Isaiah would declare, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths, remove mountaintops, fill in valleys, make crooked paths straight so that people can see God's salvation. And Philip tells Nathaniel, we can see his salvation. You see, your hope is in seeing the salvation. And so Philip comes and sees and then he goes and he does. You see the pattern, one after the other, come and see, go and do. And so let's see what Nathaniel is going to do. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good, I mean like anything at all, come out of Nazareth, Philip said to him? Come to see. <laughs> see this? See this? So Philip goes and invites. Nathaniel has a response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So at first glance, this just seems like Straight bigotry, like, you know, the Judeans or the, the city boys look down on the Galileans. They're considered redneck, you know, um, uneducated. But even in Galilee, there is, there is like worst of the worst of Galilee, and the people from Nazareth were considered them. So at first glance, it seems like Nathaniel is just a bigot. He's just going, those people, I don't like those people. I don't like where they're from. I don't like the way they talk, All right? But when you keep reading it, 
and I'll show you why in just a second, there's perhaps another option. Another reason, right? So what just happened is Philip just said to Nathaniel, hey, you come and see the ones that the prophets had promised and that Moses had written about, right? So come and see. And, and, and so and they go, come and see Jesus of Nazareth. And so Nathaniel's going, wait, 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 wait. In the scriptures it says that the Messiah will be born, the Christ will be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's the city of David. That's not Nazareth. So this is a skeptic asking a pretty fair question. Wait, how could he be from Nazareth if he's supposed to be from Bethlehem? Remember, when Jesus was born, he's born in Bethlehem because they're going back for the census to the location of their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy David's property, right? And so that's where he's born, but not where he's from. So he's from Nazareth. So Nathaniel hasn't connected those dots yet. He doesn't know. He's just been invited to come and see. And he goes, what? Can anything good, particularly the Messiah, come from Nazareth? Now watch this, verse 47. So he still comes and sees. He's still, while a skeptic, while suspicious, decides he'd at least check it out, right? Something really significant to learn here. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you don't believe in this stuff. Maybe it's hard for you to believe it. Maybe it's hard for you to uh, connect all the dots and go, there's just no way. And I'm going, no, 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 Jesus has a plan. It's a crazy one. And it won't work if he's not God. But what if, and he is, what if he's God? And so Nathaniel's invited to come and see. So he goes and sees, and as he's coming to see, as he shows up, as Philip, removed obstacles so that Nathanael could see Jesus. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. You see this? There's no judgment from Jesus. He didn't go, How dare you don't believe in him? Why would you say that about Nazareth? You don't like Nazareth? You don't like my hometown? What's your problem, bro? None, none of that, right? He looked at him and goes, There's no deceit. Like he's not even upset about the skeptic. He's not bothered that he has questions. You get this, right? This is so important. Like Jesus isn't bothered if you have a hard time connecting the dots. He's not, he's not bothered if you have questions, right? Skepticism is okay to walk in and go, I don't understand all this. I don't know how the world can be this broken if there's a God. I don't understand 2020. I don't understand suffering or poverty. I don't understand abuse, right? All fair. And Jesus invites nothing and goes, there's and there is an Israelite indeed whom there is no deceit, no judgment. But yet, what you see Nathaniel does is he comes and he sees, right? Jesus shows up, invites people to come and see. Now watch what happens in verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? Wait, wait, wait. I came and said, Philip told me to come, so I come and I saw. How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He saw you. I saw you. And Jesus goes, I see you. I know who you are. I am. This is a this is a picture of God's omnipresence and this omniscience. This is God being fully available. Jesus, as as a man, as a man, still God. He goes, I saw you. I saw you. Now, watch y'all. Nathaniel responds. Strange, I think. 49, it says this. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're king of Israel. Wait, you saw me in our fig tree? That's so impressive, right? And he goes, Rabbi, you're the son of God. And you go, what in the world's going on? And I don't know. I don't know. So there's some there's some arguments that maybe perhaps a fig tree is kind of a representation of people would have studied because uh, homes are kind of one-room homes. And so fig trees would have kind of had a, a broad sh- a shade, but also low to provide some shelter cover. 
coverage. So be a really good place to sit and read. So who knows? Maybe Nathaniel was sitting and reading the scriptures and going, God, if you're real, if you're loving, would you would you make yourself known? Like, Or maybe he was confessing sin or maybe he was, I have no idea, no idea. But all we know is Jesus shows up, invites Nathaniel to come and see, or Philip does, and then he calls him out and you see Nathaniel's response. He goes, you are the son of God. That is, you see two different terms. We talk about it. Son of man uh, is a representative of Jesus' humanity. The son of God represents his deity. You are the king of Israel. This is it. This is what he's saying. Jesus, you have a plan. You have a plan. And it's crazy. And it won't work if you're not God. But you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Your plans will work. Jesus answered him. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? So that one moment, that one moment is enough for you to believe. And he says, this this is so important. You will see greater things than these. Right? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I showed up. You were invited to come and see. But now, now, now Nathaniel, you're going to go and do. And as you go and do, you will see greater things. And then he says something so confusing yet so profound in verse 51. He says this, and he said to him, Jesus says to Nathaniel, truly I say to you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Right? Now, this is why some scholars would guess that as as, uh, Nathaniel was reading, perhaps he was reading the book of Genesis. Right? He's underneath the fig tree. And he could have been reading the story of the Israelites, right? So uh, first 10 chapters of Genesis, things are just broken in a mess. And finally, God makes a promise. And he says to this guy named Abram, Abram, regardless of your behavior, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you regardless because you cannot perform well enough to, to receive my grace and love or earn my grace and love. So I'm going to pour it out to you as a covenant. No matter what you do, I'm still going to be a good heavenly father. And I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And Abram has a son named Isaac. And Isaac has these two sons named Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau are these are these twins, and um, Esau is the oldest, and is supposed to get the birthright and the blessing from the father. But Jacob does some real broken manipulation and ends up stealing it from his brother, right? And and so the whole family is fractured. And Esau wants to murder Jacob, so he flees. And as he's fleeing, he's wondering if God's forgotten about him. He's wondering if God's going to forget the promise he made to Abraham for Jacob. He's wondering if he's going to God's going to turn his back on him. He's wondering all those things like God. Do you, are you done with me? And one of the nights as Jacob's fleeing, he's literally sleeping with his head on a stone. This is a terrible pillow and he's sleeping. And all of a sudden as he's sleeping, there's this vision he has. And it's of this ladder coming down from heaven, down to earth. And in the picture of the angels and the Son of Man, Jesus himself coming down to be with his people and bring his people back up. So what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is, hey, 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 you know, you're wondering about Jacob and you're wondering about the nation of Israel. You see all the brokenness for, for the whole country of Israel. You see all the brokenness in your world. You see all the brokenness from where the Roman Empire is destroying in you. And you're wondering if there's ever going to be any hope. And Jesus goes, truly, I tell you, you'll see heaven opened up. There's a plan. It's a crazy one. And if I'm not God, it won't work. But I am God. And the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. So what you're looking for, Nathaniel, what we're looking for is we are looking for some kind of sign and some kind of hope from heaven. And here's what Jesus is promising, that he has opened up heaven 
and he has brought himself down to us. He's invited us to come and see. Then what you're going to see throughout the rest of the scriptures in the book of Luke is Jesus is going to empower his people to go and take this good news. So they're to, to go and do and invite others in. So there's only two, two steps of this and there's only two plans of action. One, if you're brand new to this thing and wondering, I just would go, hey, would you be willing to come and see? Would you keep coming back? Would you keep opening up the scriptures? Would you go, God, if you're real? God, I don't understand this, but if you are, then I will. Like, just Would you just be curious? You can be skeptical, but be curious. Would you continue to come and see? But, but there comes a time, for those of you who have come and saw, believe in Jesus, there is a response, and the response isn't to continue just to come and see, but it's to go and do. Come and see, go and do. And one of the things about 2020 is it has shrunk our ability to come and see, to come and see the church, to invite people to come and see. But it has not shrunk our ability to go and do. So as you're going to hear over and over again in 2021, it will be the year of going and doing, right? That's what the sent ones do. They come and see and they experience Christ. And then, and then they go and they do, right? And the reason they go and do is because our world is broken. Our homes are hit by heartbreak. Our streets are torn in chaos, right? Our nations ache in violence. We scream and plead for justice. Right? Why? Because we know our world needs Jesus. We know it. And the way by which people receive Jesus is that Jesus has created his ambassadors. He's sent his emissaries out to go and do and bring this good news. And so what's going to happen is we're going to finish in this song. And it's going to be a reminder of what Jesus has called us to and prepare us for 2021. And it literally is called, The World Needs Jesus. So would you join me as we sing this song together?
every heart turn to Jesus and let every voice sing of your great name let all the earth know your freedom we believe for more let every heart turn to Jesus let every voice Well, thanks for joining us for Home for the Holidays. I love you guys. Hope to see you soon. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at overtime at clcfamily.church. Have any prayer requests? Uh, I'd like to chat with anyone. Give someone a call at 610-869-2140 or text us. Same number, 610-869-2140. What I want to do is I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you as we finish up this year in preparation for next year. So would you join me as I pray? Gracious Father, we've come to the end of the year, oh, and we want to thank you. Lord, you've been with us from start to end. I want to thank you for that. Jesus, help us listen to your voice and follow us wherever you're leading us this week and this upcoming year. Father, may we walk according to your word so that we can be a light to the world because this world needs you Jesus give us discernment give us wisdom Lord and give us courage in Jesus name we pray amen <laughs>